statement on your part. Our support for grassroots groups, particularly coastal groups, I will be speaking with watershed advocates, uh, water defenders uh, in uh, Seal Rock in January. I have a standing invite for a January uh, meeting and discussion and presentation for the North Coast Watershed Coalition. That might be in uh, Rockaway Beach. It might be in New Halem. So I'm uh, I'm raring to go. You're raring to go. Let's go. <laughs> well, absolutely. That seems like a, a great place to leave it, unless you've got any last thoughts. Well, sign up uh, for our information on the website. Uh, help us grow larger and uh, more impactful. It doesn't do any good to have this knowledge uh, in files, in a computer, or in my head, in your head, uh, or just shared with a small network. We really got to have to get our information out to broad communities. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming back on Coast Range Radio. It's been a great year working with you, and I look forward to 2024, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Coast Range Radio. We'll have links to everything we talked about today in the podcast show notes, our Facebook and Instagram, and at coastrange.org. Thanks so much to our community radio station partners for carrying the show. Coast Range Radio is a production of the Coast Range Association. We're at coastrange.org. If you like what we do, please consider supporting our work. Whether it's signing up for our email list or just telling your friends about the show, we truly appreciate your support. Drop me a line anytime, michael at coastrange.org, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Welcome to another very special Film 11. This week, we're joined by Matthew of... God rest ye merry gentlemen. <laughs> of of KBOO's uh, Gremlin Time. And also Lisa Neville of Cortland in New York State, where she shapes and controls insidiously the minds of the young. In other words, she's a professor at the English department at the, the New York State University in Cortland, New York. And part of that scheme is to uh, join us today to discuss a movie called The Bishop's Wife, directed by Henry Coster and starring uh, Cary Grant, David Niven, and Loretta Young, amongst other post-war luminaries. We haven't forgotten that night down the centuries. We celebrated with stars on Christmas trees, with the sound of bells, and with gifts, but especially with gifts. You give me a book, I give you a tie. Aunt Martha has always wanted an orange squeeze. And Uncle Henry could do with a new pipe. We forget nobody, adult or child. All the stockings are filled. All that is, except one. Now, there's lots of great Christmas movies, you know, like Miracle on 34th Street and It's a Wonderful Life. But this particular movie seems to get at more of the heart of what the celebration is about. Judah, you knew that Mrs. Hamilton and the others were expected here for the meeting this afternoon. I know, Henry. I'm sorry I was late. What a ghastly afternoon. What a ghastly woman. 
And I trust she understood that I have no intention of being strangled by her purse strings. Oh, she did, and I was proud of you. Well, I had a most unchristian impulse to take those blueprints and give her a good whack over the mink coat. I thought you stood up to her magnificently. I appreciate your appreciation, but what about my cathedral? May I make a suggestion, Henry? Why not postpone the cathedral? At least forget about it until after Christmas. Impossible. House of God can't just be put off. This cathedral must rise. Plenty of other rich people in this town, and if I had to enlist their financial enthusiasm, then I shall have to take advantage of their yuletide spirit. Oh, I can see it all now. The McWithers, the Horns, the Van Dusens, the luncheons, the committee meetings, and you, you were there flattering them, kowtowing to them, begging them. It's got to be done. Oh, Henry, if you could see your poor, harassed face. Well, you haven't done very much to help it. Well, yeah. So what are we learning from this that makes this movie so different from other Christmas tales ranging from the famous stories by Dickens and especially contemporaneous Christmas stories that range anywhere from Miracle to Meet Me in St. Louis, which actually methodically goes through all of the holidays culminating with Christmas and which fascinatingly shows the tensions within a family that afflict people during the holidays. How does the bishop's wife fit into this view of Christmas? You're absolutely right. Meet Me in St. Louis, Miracle on 34th Street, and It's a Wonderful Life. Those type of movies, are, which are really fine films, and actually are fairly complex versions of family life and people's psychic lives as they work through the Christmas season. Those are comedies. Those are dramas. Those are movies about families, about relationships, about people. This movie does have that. It is a movie about people's relationships with each other, but it's also a movie about people's inner lives, about people's relationships to themselves and their own integrity and these human values that make life beautiful and important as opposed to those kinds of pleasures and material values that may look life interesting or fun. And there's a, there's a real distinction. And I think in that way, this is the film that is most like Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Henry, what's happened to you? What's happened to us and our marriage? We used to have such fun, you and Debbie and I. We used to be happy. We used to make other people happy. Oh, Henry, that was your gift. You're no financier and you're not a promoter. Julia, you can't see beyond the end of your nose. I want this cathedral to stand like a great beacon. I want its light to oh, shine. Never a... mind, Henry, never mind. Keep that for your next committee meeting. Dickens' Christmas Carol is a scathing critique of materialist values. Scrooge has completely, he's made himself unhappy and everyone around him unhappy because in his ruthless pursuit of money and property. And he comes to see that that is a hollow and empty value, and he comes to recognize the value of openness, generosity, and loving kindness. And that really, there's really no other movie that's as radical in that uh, message as A Bishop's Wife. Now, in the 1940s, a lot of fantasy movies came out, uh, especially ones with uh, supernatural beings coming to Earth. You had, like, I Married a Witch, and there was one about a mermaid. There's also the many ghost stories, the Canterville Ghost, the Ghost of Mrs. Muir, uh, Topper Takes a Vacation, all sorts of nice comedies with a supernatural kind of twist to them. Or some that are a little more serious, like A Guy Named Joe or Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Um, so The Bishop's Wife... Yeah, we have this angel played by Cary Grant who 
who comes into this domestic problem to start uh, sorting things out. And so he first appears to uh, the bishop, Henry, in his office. Good evening. Good evening. What can I do for you? That isn't the question. Well, what is it? What can I do for you? Look, I'm afraid I must ask you to telephone my secretary for an appointment. I'm in the middle of dinner. I know, Henry. Your soup will keep warm. You asked for help. I? I... Who told you I asked for help? Well, you were known to be a good man, Henry, and you were heard. I was instructed to come here in answer to your prayer. Who are you? I'm an angel. Have you got I'm an angel. No wings at the moment, but... Uh, You're an angel. Oh, I knew it. I, I've been working too hard. I understand, Henry. It's hard to believe, even for you. Of course, I'm not one of the more important angels. I just happen to be assigned to this district temporarily. You see, we're everywhere. Helping people who deserve to be... to be helped. As you're walking through the streets of the city, you may suddenly look into a strange face. It may be the face of a murderer, or it may be the face of an angel. And so he inserts himself into the bishop's you... family and starts helping him. And if I may interrupt, only yeah. David Niven, as the bishop, knows he is an angel. Henry, is anything wrong? I... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that you... Julia, if you don't mind... How do you do, Julia? I'm Dudley. Henry is engaging me to help him with his work. You, you mean you're going to be his assistant? That's it. I'm going to try to help Henry to rest and get some relaxation. That's what I've been praying for. You too? Oh, Henry, I'm so relieved. Isn't it wonderful you found someone to help you? Yes, but... Where do you come from, Dudley? Oh, all around. Yes, but where? Julia, to tell you the truth, he says that he's an... I've been doing some social service work downtown. Oh, and now you're going to be with Henry permanently? For as long as may be necessary. <sighs> Julia, if you don't mind, I must talk to this gentleman alone. I'll, I'll see you sure. in a moment. <clears throat> uh, we were just having dinner. Won't you join us? That's very kind of you, but I have a number of things to do around town. Oh. You can understand, Henry. So many people making so many mistakes. Yes, I, I see. Uh, then we'll see you tomorrow? Oh, yes. Bright and early. Good. Whenever you're ready, Henry. Uh, good night, Dudley. Good night, Julia. You sure you're an angel? I know it isn't easy for you, Henry, but you've just got to take me on faith. Yes, but for how long? How long will it take? Well, just long enough. Until you can utter another prayer and say that you have no further need of me. Then I'll be gone and forgotten. But now uh, Julia is waiting for you at the dining table. You must go to her. And so um, Dudley starts to work to see what's the problem. And in this ghost story, Cary Grant plays a very different kind of ghost. Of course, he has all of the charm of Cary Grant, but his charm is not just superficial. What this ghost is able to do and why he's able to touch people so well is that he sees people. He really pays attention to them. He acknowledges who they are. He, when he looks you in the eye, you feel that he sees you. You feel that he recognizes you. He does that with everyone he speaks to in the film, and everyone responds, lights up when he talks to them, as if for the first time they've been acknowledged and they feel loved. 
So he is an absolutely wonderful angel. I'm sorry, I called him a ghost. He's a wonderful angel. Um, he comes in and he works as the assistant to the bishop, played by David Niven. David Niven is a wonderful bishop. However, he's he's lost his way. He is putting all of his energy into getting the money to build this huge big cathedral, an edifice to God. He is spending all of his time with these wealthy donors, as opposed to the more simple people that that he used to spend time with in the church. He's not spending time with his wife and his little daughter either. And he, in a fit of uh, frustration, he prays to God, asking him to please send someone to help him with all of this. And that's that's how Cary Grant comes in to be his assistant and to give him some guidance. But what kind of guidance? Yes, uh, David Niven thinks eventually that oh, he's here to help me build the cathedral. But what he's really doing is bringing the ability of self awareness or self knowledge. There, there's a moment in this, like in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where he goes through with that dark n- night of discontent. Dark night of the soul. Yeah. And he, uh, and to find out what he really values in his life. Is it being this big bishop who raises money to build a church? Or is it a man who looks after his family and looks after the other people he can help? Uh, it's it. it even though we resolve the kind of Scrooge character in this, it's not really what there's another point that the movie has to make about no, finding you, yourself. What you said is interesting because it makes me think that David Niven's character, the bishop, is a little Scroogey himself. He is, I think. He has he has he has lost his way. He has sort of not repudiated, but he's forgotten that all that all everything that's valuable is basically human and the human spirit and human love and the human heart which is uh and he's moving towards this concrete huge you know stone edifice which is stony and inhuman Mm. well one thing is how well this movie gets its themes across and how the characters are so wonderfully portrayed we've got great cinematography by Greg Tolan, and who uses this depth of field. You'll have somebody in the foreground and another character is in the middle ground talking to him, but then they turn and move away and then they look back as the other person's not looking and gives an expression and we'll, we can see people way in the distance. There's the scene where Cary Grant's talking with the little girl. Don't worry, let's do that again. No, tell me a story. What now? Don't you know any stories? Oh, certainly. I know hundreds of stories. Tell me one. Please. All right. All right. Let me think. Uh, all right. Now, now, this happened many, many years ago. That's not the way to begin. Stories start once upon a time. Oh, yes, that's true. Well, once upon a time, there was a little boy, and he lived in a little town. What was his name? His name was David. He was a shepherd, and the town where he lived was called Bethlehem. Oh, I know Bethlehem. That's where the star was. That's right. Oh, and the other people in the house are kind of drawn in and in the background and listening as they're uh, as as this little interchange between the child and Cary Grant is going on. Well, one night David was out in the hills tending his sheep. He was playing the harp and singing. Was he singing Jingle Bells? <laughs> no, no, no. Jingle Bells hadn't been written then. David was singing songs that he wrote himself. Well, suddenly an angel came down and spoke to David. How did David know it was an angel? 
Uh, he didn't, though. And you know, that's the way it always is. Angels come down and put ideas into people's heads, and then people feel very proud of themselves because they think it was all their own idea. Well, this angel said to David, one of your lambs has strayed. So David put aside his harp and went out in the darkness to find the lamb. Of course, the angel guided him. Yeah, and Greg Tolan is superb at photographing Cary Grant's hair. <laughs> it's just really, he's always very, Tolan was always very good with contrasts of uh, uh, dark, extremely inky blacks and brightness. And, you know, Cary Grant's glistening hair it looks so fantastic. Now, who is movie. the director on this? It's uh, Henry Coster, who, if I may say, is a little bit underrepresented in film criticism. He was a fairly significant director of of hits who's now more or less forgotten but he was behind such things as uh, uh harvey the movie about the imaginary i assume uh bunny and i believe also, it's lisa's was, favorite movie yeah and he was the he directed the first cinemascope movie uh the robe for 20th century fox started the 50s but he directed movies that resulted in oscars for at least six or seven uh, performers. Um, his career spanned the history of cinema. And curiously, he's a little, he resembles Billy Wilder to, in some ways, both fleeing uh, Europe at the start of the war to evade the uh, Cossacks <laughs> uh, in the, 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 the new version of the Cossacks and uh, ends up in Hollywood, not even speaking English like Wilder, but eventually rises to to create some of the most interesting commentaries on the American life. And the, this coincidence uh, is, oh, I don't know, underscored by the fact that while making the movie, the producers felt there needed to be a little punching up in the humor, and so uh, Billy Wilder and uh, his writing partner um, were uh, hired to do a little script doctoring. So Billy Wilder and I can't remember his partner's name. The first one before uh, I Charles Starrett. Yeah, uh, say his name. And again. then the Charles Starrett. And then the original script that they worked on was by Robert Sherwood, mm -hmm. one of the Algonquin crowd. Right. That's true. And it's yeah. based on a novel, but. Uh, uh, Coster was one of those directors that he wasn't flashy he didn't draw attention to himself he just wanted the movie to look good which is why you get Greg Tolan and he himself wanted to be invisible as a stylist because he didn't want to interfere with the audience seeing and hearing the characters and being involved in the story um, that that story is a little on the weird side <laughs> is something I'd like to get into a little bit later. But yes, it's directed by Coster, and it's a, probably a pr one of two or three hundred premier examples of the American studio system at its best. Oh, yeah, because yeah. they they practically had to redo the film and then they had to recast it. And, you know, having the studio system in place, they were able to reset uh, really well. I mean, the final film is a masterpiece in its way. It it is beautiful. It looks beautiful. It's seamless. It's that continuity editing. 
And what, but what I think also needs to be talked about that's different than today's films is that every single character has a plethora of secondary characters. Oh. All of them are full, full-fledged characters, fully fleshed out, real people that you feel like you know just as well as the leads who are played by just wonderful actors, Monty Woolley, Elsa Lanchester, James Gleason. They're just incredible characters that you never forget and that are oh, really yeah. into the film. Now, Monty Woolley plays this character called the professor. My and favorite. He is so <laughs> wonderful. And we we meet him right away. We meet him before we meet the bishop. And it's wonderful, the structure where Cary Grant's on the street watching people celebrate Christmas and he's helping people that have little problems. And, and here the audience is cle clued in to who Cary Grant is. So the audience throughout the whole movie knows more than the characters. And mm -hmm. here we have... Um, Loretta Young's character, Julia, she's admiring a hat that she likes, but she's troubled. And then she runs into Monty Woolley's character, an old friend. And we learn that she and her husband used to be the bishop in the nearby church, and he was their friend, and they knew everybody. So we get this introduction in this wonderful little exchange right at the start, which helps establish who she is and leads us to what the problem is that the and, angel is here to solve. And that's such an important aspect of American cinema from the 30s and 40s, which is to make sure you know who everybody is, what their relations are to each other, and do it in this seamless and seemingly innocuous way. That's not the right word, but you you don't know what's happening. You pay attention. You understand what's going on, but but you're being informed in this easeful way and with these incredible uh, character actors who really catch them in your in your imagination so that you you just always know where you are what's going on and uh modern movies uh, perhaps prefer ambiguity or making you work a little bit harder for for uh your understanding of the movie if, all of fact, the tensions are uh are, are present right there and you become uh, aware of all of the tensions so julia is 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 nostalgic for the time that they lived in that neighborhood and that they knew everyone and things were simpler and they were happier so there's a tension between then and now there's a tension between the intellectual um and the the secular and the sacred between the professor and the bishop there's the tensions between the mortal and the immortal with the angel and the professor there's the tension between the rich and the poor you've got all of them laid out it's like this beautiful tapestry of threads that you can just keep pulling and that mm. so you interest is entirely held there's so much going on never for a moment never for a split second are you the least bit bored by this film <laughs> now uh, you mentioned the the uh, character another character actor is uh, Gladys Cooper who plays the rich woman and now Gladys Cooper was a legendary beauty on the British stage in the 1900s, even a mistress of the uh, Bertie, the Prince of Wales, later the King of England. But uh, here we see her 
later on, but as the film progresses and uh, her, you know, facade is peeled away by the angel, we Mm. get a wonderful performance of this great screen actress, Gladys Cooper, all in one take as we find out the truth behind why she wants this cathedral built in honor of her late husband. She's the screw, she is the sort of initial Scrooge character, but then we realize how much of the the Scrooge story is involved with Henry. But first, we like have this rich woman, and lovely portrayed by Alice Cooper. Really nice, Gladys Cooper, not Alice. Gladys, uh, Gladys. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, oh, oh. Schools like out forever. <laughs> I'd like to see the Bishop's wife with Alice Cooper as anyway. But I, I think I, I wouldn't. So. This 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 woman is it's part of the frustration that the the bishop is having is that he has to please this woman who has very strict ideas about what kind of uh, how much money she's going to give and if she gives the money how much control she's going to have over the cathedral, but you know, uh, Cary Grant Dudley says about her early on that we don't know what's in her heart. And that's a big secret that he, that's his secret power. I oh. mean, yes, he's an angel, but I think his real superpower is that he's able to read people's hearts. In its and, way, this is a psychological movie. And absolutely. Psychology was very big in Hollywood in the like for his Spellbound and other films like that. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. Now, for in terms of the psychology of the characters, one of the things I find fascinating about it is the conflict within Dudley himself as he's come to Earth or moved from one part of the Earth to the other to take on another problem. He, it seems as if he's gradually falling in love with Loretta Young and being tempted to stay on Earth as a human being. And uh, you real one realizes that one, but one facet of this movie is that under underneath all of the supernatural elements and the religious elements when you get down to the domestic level of the story it's about a a, a guy trying to steal another man's wife <laughs> and and she's responding to him really solely because she's been abandoned by her husband due to his various duties and his his calling and he's really tempted by her and she's tempted by him and i that's where i find the thing a little incoherent because i not in a bad way but because it introduces levels of complexity that are a little hard to deal with for what you expect the average viewer to want out of a movie you don't expect well, I, it. Go ahead. Sorry. No, please go on. Finish. I was I was literally done. Well, I, I think I think that um, this just goes to underscore that this film is really interrogating, investigating human values. Remember, it's 1946. The war is just over. We're just getting all of the news. We're seeing the photographs of the camps. We see, we see some of the photographs of Hiroshima. I mean, we're starting to realize, you know, we've seen the photographs of Dresden. We're just starting to realize how cruel and brutal humanity can be. But yet, in a sense, when it's carried away, swept away by these sort of sorts of passions and 
I think the film is an argument to reinstate simple, basic human values of kindness and tolerance, which is what the bishop says at the end. And I think that the angel falling in love with Julia, and Julia does say no. She realizes it at the end, and she says, no, you have to go away. And he says, okay, I'll go away. And I think, you know, they realize, I think, I'm sorry, I think that they're falling in love is actually a repudiation of the Superman, of the, you know, the supernatural, of mystical powers and saying, Mm. you know, it's really what humans have, this love for each other that we have in our hearts that is something even the angels envy. And in fact, in fact, that's what Dudley says to David Niven. He says at the end, it's, you have made me envy a mortal man. And then, you know, then he leaves. Oh, that's fascinating. We've got about... And it's very interesting, the very last shot where Dudley's looking in the church as we hear the sermon. He turns and walks away. And we, Lisa and I were like wondering, do we see his footprints? Is he now, is that the way of visually saying he's now a mortal man? He's now relinquished being an angel. Kind of like later in Vim Vendors' great movie, Wings of Desire. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good connection. Um yeah, I'll have to rewatch that and look for the. It could have been inattention on the part of the uh, crew, or you know, they didn't think anybody else would notice. Although I have to say, those great big sparkly nitrate screens of the day could show you practically anything on the screen. But we have two and a half minutes left. Do so we, let's just wrap, wrap up? up. So yeah, so we've been talking about the 1946 movie, The Bishop's Wife. David Niven, who's fantastic in this, there's a great comic, serious performance. Um, Cary Grant, he's entering his more adult phase. He's not doing the crazy loose guy that he would do. He did in Arsenic and Old Lace. And Loretta Young still holding on to the glamour and the beauty and, and a character that's like is totally, what, naive or just uh, totally wrapped up in your life as a mom. And kind, a totally kind. Yes, totally kind. But a little puzzled by what's going on around her and not knowing how what to do about it. And wanting to protect her kid and make sure that the kid receives attention from both parents and instead of just one. And Elsa Lanchester. <laughs> and the great Monty Woolley. Yes. yes. I wish and we found it very much in the style of Dickens and making a commentary on society wrapped up in a store a ghost story a christmas ghost story though in this case a christmas angel story anyway we've been talking to lisa all the way from new york state and matthew of kboo's gremlin time and we've been discussing the bishop's wife in our special very special holiday edition of film at 11. all the stockings are filled all that is except one and we have even forgotten to hang it up. A stocking for the child born in a manger. It's his birthday we're celebrating. You are tuned in to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM and streaming on the web at kboo.fm. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operation and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communication Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. 
Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. The Policy and Governance Committee meets on the third Tuesday of March, June, September, and December at 6 p.m. This month's meeting will be held online through a public video conference. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting can be found on our website at kboo.fm. Please visit our website.